To the Mary Mac Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show, and I'm doing a podcast series entitled Death by Fentanyl. And if you've listened to a few of our other episodes, you know that I'm interviewing lovely women and men who have gone through the tragedy of losing a child to fentanyl. It's a horrific experience to lose a child to begin with. But to lose one so suddenly and violently when fentanyl takes a life within minutes. We are doing our very best to do these shows so that you will better understand what this illegal, illicit, counterfeit drug is doing to the children and young adults of our country. It is now the leading cause of death among 15 to 40 year olds. And tonight I am grateful that Paula Santos, excuse me, young, Paula Santos Young is uh, joined us tonight. Her son, Andrew was 33 when he died on March 8th, 2022. He has two other siblings. And his stepdad, Phil, her husband, is also in his life, was in his life. And Andrew started an organization called Achieve Greatness. And Paula and Phil have taken that and decided to move it more into awareness for fentanyl poisoning. And she'll tell us about that a little later on. But first, I want to thank her for coming on. Thank you, Paula, for being with us tonight and to share your story about Andrew. Thank you so very much, Mary. I appreciate you having me. No problem. I'm so grateful you're here. So my first question to you, Will, was, would you please tell us about Andrew's growing up years, how your family was and where you lived and um, how, um, you know, he interacted with you and his siblings? Sure. Andrew was my firstborn. He um, was definitely a force to be reckoned with, as I always say. <laughs> he, uh, he was very passionate right from the young years of his life, um, whether it was a sports team, a certain player, just certain games, anything. He just had this passion about him. He was very protective of myself and his brothers because they were younger. And it was just something that he always carried with him as he went on. You know, one of the things with, with him is when he got older and he went on to high school and then went, moved away, um, he continued to have that, that trait of being very passionate about things to, to the point where sometimes he would literally, he would get people angry at him just because of how passionate he was. But unbeknownst to anyone, Andrew had PTSD and anxiety and oh. some bouts of depression. So when you have those things and you don't know how to um, treat them or to you, the people that you're interacting with don't know that you have that, it becomes where 
and I'm sure you know, Mary, because you hear this a lot about mental health, they don't know how to deal with it. The, yes. the receiver doesn't know how to truly handle and be really there for that person because they don't know what's truly going on. So you know, when Andrew started in his later years, he started coaching basketball. Um, he coached, uh, we used to live in Western Massachusetts, which is here in, in, in Massachusetts. It's in the Springfield area. And then uh, when I was about, I would say 21 years ago, I moved here to the Cape where I am now. It's still in Massachusetts. Um, so it's about an hour and a half um, east of where I was prior. And one of the things that, you know, Andrew loved the ocean. So we're right by the ocean here. And when he got older, he, you know, lived on his own, but he still continued to have the traits that he had of ha having those certain bouts with mental health. And he never wanted to take pills. He wouldn't, he just wouldn't take pills. You could literally sit $5 billion in front of him and he would be like, no, I'm not taking a pill. He just, he just, <laughs> He just wouldn't. That was just him. And he hated shots growing up. I mean, it took like four people just to hold him down when he had to get his vaccinations as a young child. But as he got older, he loved to cook. So that's one of the things that he did. So he would always send photos to me. Hey, mom, look what I cooked. He would uh, call my dad or my mom and get recipes from them to cook Portuguese meal. And he loved it. And he would just say, oh, you know, this is what I did. Here's what I cooked. And the reason he did it is because one of the things people don't know is that he didn't live with me. As he got older, he moved out when he was 20. So Andrew had lived on his own. And then he had moved um, to Pennsylvania. He was there for a little bit. And then he moved to Maryland. And that's where he was when he un unexpectedly, unfortunately, uh, passed away last March. And he was coaching basketball. Andrew had started Achieve Greatness, as you had mentioned. He created the logo. He created the name. He created the mission statement. Everything. He did this. This was his dream and his passion. And what he was doing is he was coaching kids in basketball skills assessment, one-on-one -on -one training. And he loved it. He loved what he was doing. And he was working a lot with inner city kids because that's what he just loved to do. He always had this passion about him. And it's interesting because when we came here to the area, my husband had two other children. So together it was five boys in this oh, home. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh yes. Five boys, and then of course my husband. So one of the things that they would do when they would get a little rowdy, my husband would say, "Let's go. We're going to go to the basketball courts," and that was kind of their mental health release. Their kind of okay, let's talk, say what you want, put it all out, and, you know, just don't tell mom. And <laughs> that's what they love to do, and they loved it. They loved it because they were able to kind of blend together and really have that that time where they could release everything that they were going through. You know, so then as Andrew got older and he started this and then we found out um, that, you know, this is one of the things he was doing also to help him. It was just an extension of what he had been doing younger that when my husband was taking them all out and doing this, it was a form of blending people together and coming together for a greater good and to just mentally help them also with whatever they were going through. So we fast forward um, last March, we, we got the, and, it, and it's interesting because it wasn't a phone call. Um, we had police officers that came here to the house. I was not here. I was working. My husband was working and it was our youngest, my youngest, um, 26 years old who was home and the police, he was the first one that they told that they had found oh, his my brother. Goodness. So yeah. So when you, you hear these stories of these parents who are finding their children or they're getting the knock on the door or, you know, there many instances with me, it was a little different with me. He wasn't even, even in the, he wasn't even in this state. So it was a little, it was, I would say it was just as traumatic for us uh, because of the fact that he had not been here and he had not been here for three years. So when I did see him, and this is what I've told many of the parents that I speak to and I'm 
connecting with and I have formed a different another family is I didn't get the opportunity to hold my child or to have them. Um, and when I did, he was in a casket. So this is something that I think many parents can relate to uh, that unfortunately have been through this is because it's not the circle of life. It's not the way things are supposed to happen. No. And when they're taken away from you this way, uh, it's it's a it's even more uh, traumatic because not only are you dealing with the effect of what you've been told, but now you're dealing with a domino effect that everything that comes with it. Yes. You're dealing with siblings who now are dealing with having the loss of their brother that they also had not seen. Uh, you're dealing with my spouse, my husband, who now he's trying to pick up the pieces and trying to be strong for me when I can't be anything because I'm broken. Um, he's having to go pick up the casket, you know, and then you have the collateral damage that comes like a grenade has gone off with the family members who now after a certain time, they, they want you to be the way you were and you're oh, just not. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're not that person. Anymore. No. Yes. And they're not happy because no, you should be the way you were before. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you're never going just, to be. It's, no. And this is just something that I constantly tell people when I speak to them and all the parents that I'm now involved with. It's something that people just don't understand and they won't because Someone said it best the other day. I was on a podcast. It wasn't a podcast. It was like a Zoom call training. And this person said, you know, the way I explain it, and they had lost a child also. They said, the way I explain it is, if I tell you guys to come with me to go find milk at a Home Depot or a, you know, or a True Value hardware store, you're not going to find milk there just like your friends are not going to understand what you're going through until they experience it. And I never thought of it put into that concept, but it makes sense. And that's why so many people talk about how so many of their friends that they had are no longer there for them because they can't deal with the fact that you are no longer who they knew and nor will you ever go back to that person. So they can't be around you or they can't deal with your grief because as you know, Mary, grief is every day for us. We don't have a 12 step program. It's every day. One day can be okay and we're good. And then the next day you can't even talk to us because yeah. we just want to be in bed sleeping and that's it. That's, that's what you just want to zone out. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yes. So one of the things that we did with Achieve Greatness is after uh, Andrew's unexpected passing is my husband and I, we took it over. We created a 501c3 and we have it patented and we're registered with the state. So not only are we bringing forth awareness, advocacy and education into the communities here in Massachusetts regarding the dangers of fentanyl and xylazine, but we're also utilizing sports because that's what was Andrew was doing. So that's one of the things that we're also incorporating with everything that we are doing because what brings people together? Sports. So when you want to have an event, whether it's a basketball tournament, soccer, whatever, you have a, a lot, a very group, big group of, of people that are there that can truly hear the message. And we, we really have three pillars with Achieve Greatness. The first and foremost is always sports because that's just what Andrew was doing. That's the first pillar. And, you know, right now we're focusing more on basketball because that's what he was doing. And then we're going to go into other sports. The second is the awareness, advocacy, and the education side of it. And then the third is legislation. Because as you know, many parents like myself who have started nonprofits are truly fighting this battle really also to get the justice that is needed for these people who really, you know, they murdered our children. Um, if you're being given something that you know nothing about and you're poisoned, that is a murder, plain and simple. 
You can't call it anything different. And I will, any law enforcement can come on and if they want to tell me different, go ahead. But I don't think you're going to convince any of us parents because when you're given something again, that you have absolutely no knowledge what you're getting, that is a murder. And I know some people have said to me, well, Paula, well, what about if the person didn't know and they gave it to, you know, to they gave it to Joe and Joe passed away? Well, I don't care. Then, 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 you know, then the person who gave it to Joe should be sitting in a prison cell until he gives up the name of who gave it to him. I mean, how many more people is he going to kill? But what's happening, and as you know, Mary, because you, you know all of this, nothing is happening to these people. They're walking the streets free. There's no legislation that says that they're going to hold them because the police will come back at you and the prosecutors and say, well, we can't connect the dots. Well, I'm not sure how you can't connect the dots when you have a person who is no longer here, a person who gave them a substance, but yet you can't connect the dots. So what is it that I'm missing? So, you know, I applaud many of the parents who came before me to to do what they're doing, because there's a lot of work that goes into this. There really is. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's it's it, it's it's uh, it's tiring. It's taxing. But at the end, I always say to people when they say to me, why are you doing this? It's because I don't want you to be me. That's what I tell them. And, and that's a very powerful retort. Very powerful. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes, and sometimes people will, you know, cause we have, we have created banners and billboards. And sometimes I, I printed out banners that I bring with me to events and there's many faces on those banners um, of children, uh, loved ones from others, parents that I am now interacting with. And I tell their stories. Like I can look at the face and I know who they are, what happened to them, what they took, what they were given, who their mom is, the state that they live in. And it, it becomes kind of like where people will sit and they'll look at you and they're like, how do you know that? Because this is our world. Yes. Yeah. And I spent an hour and a half or two hours speaking to that parent. And I know exactly the entire story, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And we still talk to the parents. I mean, there's many, again, there's many parents out there who are doing this advocacy. And then if you flip the coin, Mary, there's parents who are not doing this advocacy, but are supporting those who are. Um, you know, which is have... just fine if they can't bring themselves to do that part of it. That's exactly. fine as long as you support those who are. Yeah. And I have many of those parents. I have a, a phenomenal group of parents from all across the United States that are just amazing. Many who are doing advocacy and, and some who are not. And but you know what? But that's OK, because we still check in on each other. We still and. That's one of the things that I, I always say to my parents, my moms and dads, when I talk to them, I never, we never say, how are you? Because we know how we are. We always, <laughs> we always say checking in. That's what we say. Oh, that's great. Yes. That's yes. Great. Wow. Will you tell us a little bit more about how Andrew died? So what happened with him is he had been in a car accident three years prior. Mm. Yes. And due to that, of course, with the PTSD and anxiety, that just heightened everything. Um, Andrew had a medical marijuana card and because he, again, he just wouldn't take medicine. So the person who gave him the marijuana, um, they did not tell him and he knew the person. So let's get, let's make, let's understand this. He knew the person and the person did not tell him that the marijuana was laced with fentanyl and xylazine. It had both. Oh my God. Yes. So that person again is walking the streets free. Um, and my son is not here. And this is where, as I speak, and I we talk about, you know, with the legislation side, this is one of the things that I'm truly pushing, because not only do you are you a parent who's having to deal with the tragic, tragic death of a child, but now you're having to deal with knowing 
that you have this person that is out there and they are facing absolutely no type of accountability. I mean, just, I mean, you, I, I tell people all the time, I said, if anyone to, were to sit all of us down, I think between all of us parents, we have PTSD, anxiety, depression, you name it, we have it all. We do because of all of the traumatic event occurrences that keep occurring. Uh, because when we wake up, what people don't understand is when we wake up, we are reliving this day over again. Every day we wake up, it's it's reliving the nightmare. So although many will say, well, you know, you learn to carry it. You do. You absolutely do learn to carry it with you and bring it with you. But you're still reliving that day. And that's why some days are okay. And other days are like a wave in the ocean that's 100 foot tall coming at you. Without a doubt. And, and that's what grief does. It, yes. It comes, it goes some days. It's extremely intense where, as you said, you can't get out of bed. And then there are other days where you convince yourself you can keep moving forward. And yes. you do. And, um, and you do the very best you can. And, you know, there are always going to be incidences where Maybe you go to the grocery store and you see his favorite cereal, yeah. <laughs> for instance, right? That he, he loved as a child. And, and then you see something else that he loved or you go to the, the store and you see the type of jeans he used to wear or the boots he loved. And, and what pops up in your mind is I never have to buy that again. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of buying that again. Yep. I, I was at a, uh, cause my husband is six, six, four. Oh my. And, uh, oh yeah. He played football and we were at a big and tall casual mail uh, store here in Massachusetts. And I literally just broke down. I had to leave because yeah. there was, there was a section in the store where it was the suits and Andrew loved to dress up. Of course, with being a basketball coach, they had to dress up when they went to games, but he just loved to do that. So I just started looking around and I just, I couldn't be in there. I just had to leave. I couldn't. Um, and these are the things that people don't understand. Or you'll have people who will say, well, I don't want to talk because I don't want to get her upset. Well, then you don't want to talk about my child. That's kind of ignorant because that's my child. I don't stop being their parent. I will forever be their parent until I'm with them. And that will forever be my child. And I will always have three biological boys. I don't, you know, so the, the conception that people have and the ideology of the verbiage that they come out with sometimes is, yeah, I've had some real doozies. And I'm sure many have, I mean, from, oh, well, you have two other children okay, well then why don't you tell me which one of yours you'll give up? Right <laughs> yeah. How about that? How about you tell me which one you're going to give up now? Right. And then we can continue the conversation. And then you get the, the deer in the headlights. Like, well, what do you mean? Well, why did you just make that comment? Sometimes I feel like, well, I, I don't have to feel like I know that people just don't know what to say. Yes. And so most of the time they come out with, the stupidest things. And you look at them as if to say, are you for real? Did you yes. really just say that? Did that really just come out of your mouth? Oh yeah. And you want to be compassionate, but then you think to yourself, why do I have to be compassionate? You know, you this you is don't. what I'm going through and you're not worried about how I feel about things. So, you know, we, we tend to want to do the right thing and be nice. But there are times where you just can't be nice anymore. No, because, no. And you have to realize, and what I always say is there are people in our life, like you were saying before, um, you know, there's just a group of people in our lives that were close to us before Andrew died. And yes. And those people, they kind of exit stage left. And when they do, yes. you have to let them go. 
you must let them yeah. go because they were here for a season in our life and that season's over and you have to yes. be okay with that. And that takes a, a lot of, you know, you kind of toy around with that in your mind. You're like, I don't know if I accept this, but the fact is, is they've already left your life. There's no right. sense yeah. in going to run after them and trying to bring them back in because they are never going to see you the way you were before, because you're not the way you were before. You're yeah. a completely different person. And that's perfectly okay. Yes. And so for all of those who are listening to us, <laughs> yes. Yes. it's absolutely. absolutely okay to let people go from your life. You don't yeah. need that strain in addition to everything that you're going through. Yeah, you don't need that that complex of the issue burdening you and putting even more trauma onto what people are already going through. You know, us parents as grieving parents, and and I I've learned, uh, you know, of course late because it's been a year and a half, it's going to be a year and a half. I've learned that I don't bite my tongue anymore. I I don't care what people think or say. I mean, if you're going to make a comment to me, be prepared of what's going to be said back. Because if you think I'm just going to sit here and take it, I'm not. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then, of course, there are, the, there are those, Mary, and I'm sure people have talked about this, or if you have, where they'll come and they'll be, well, you know, Andrew wouldn't want you to be upset. And he would, how do you, how the hell do you know what he would, what was his favorite color? What was his favorite food? What did he like to do? You, you can't answer any of these, right? So don't tell me what the hell he would want or not want. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But they're trying to comfort you and they're not doing a good job of it. No. And so, <laughs> and so that's why in and of itself, it's, it's that season's over. Yes. And so you just let them be and they'll go on their merry way and they'll make new friends and your life will be a hell of a lot more calm, less yeah. drama filled. And, and I always say that um, it's okay. Like, it's just okay. You know, you're right. never going to be who you were and who they want you to be again. That's not going to happen because right. what, what truly goes on is that our level of tolerance is no longer available to us. We have right. no, we have no tolerance. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and so exactly. that's why we get snippy. That's why we don't want to be involved. That's why we don't attend um, events that we're invited to or, mm -hmm. Christmas, you know, Christmas time or whatever, you know, we just know that we are not going to react well when you, uh, you know, go along with your party as if nothing's ever happened in my life. And so, you know, we don't have that level of tolerance we once did, and it's just the way it is. Right. And I think the other thing too, and I talk to parents about this a lot when I speak to them or when I do podcasts like this, is you really have to truly have a good support, compassionate, loving, uh, you know, resource around you. And, and I can say that, you know, I, I have that in my husband um, and I definitely have that in my youngest son, uh, my middle son, he kind of doesn't talk about it. Uh, I'm not going to say he, he's not there for me, but it's just, it's very different. Uh, but I know that between my husband and my youngest son, they are 1 billion percent always supporting me always, you know, are you okay? Do you need anything? You know, because it, it affected them also. Um, and it affected them in a way where they had to understand the transition of what was happening and they're not the same. Um, and then trying to, you know, pick up the pieces of me when I'm not okay. And it's traumatic. And, you know, and when people, when we talk about the many parents that talk about their what happened with their children and the poisoning and then you have parents who didn't have their children with them as I didn't and you know when he when he did fly back he flew back in a casket it wasn't in a plane in a seat you know it was in a casket yeah. and this is the traumatic event that people just they don't comprehend they they're not thinking of everything and every bit of little pieces that comes with what 
has occurred and continues to occur. And then, of course, you have the media and everyone continuing to call this an overdose. And it just, it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, every time I speak, whether it's to a senator, a congressman, a representative, a mayor, a superintendent, I don't care who it is, I always tell them, for the love of everything, stop calling this an overdose. Stop. Because that's not what this was. You know, this is a poisoning. There is a huge difference between the two. And I know that, you know, many of towns and cities just had Overdose Awareness Day. And, you know, and, and even my town. And I was invited to attend. And I didn't go because I'm still trying to get them to understand that you can't call it that when that's not what it was. And I'm not taking away from the folks that, did overdose. I'm not doing that. Or the people that are having substance abuse, um, immune disease, because they are human beings. They need help. And they need us to surround them with love and compassion. But we don't need to continue to be told by these folks who are in office, Congress, Senate, whatever, in government, oh, well, it was an overdose. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Why don't you sit down and explain to me then why you think that was? Because then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to explain to you how it wasn't. And I think that's the really unjustification that keeps occurring to us parents is when we see a news media or a report or something. I mean, I know that the CDC just changed changed it just recently. I think it was this week they had something in reference to where they're now starting to say poisoning, you know, but it's like, really, really? So how many people have we lost before you all started to really do what's truly factual? Like, come on. And how many people have to die before our government does something to stop it from coming through the borders. Yeah, and I think with that, I mean, I wish Jim was here because I know you talked to him. <laughs> Jim Rao. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. I he is him. amazing. He is, and you know, and he's just so brilliant and bright, and he always can answer these questions better than a lot of us can. And I think what happens is, you know, I tell people all the time follow the money. That's all I'm going to say. Follow the money. Yes. I mean, you know, everyone sits and complains about one person, but what people are not understanding is it's not one person and it didn't just start now. This has been going on since even before Ford was in office and Kennedy and all of them. The drug war has been going on way before, you know, when they were around and things were not being done. And then you have the Oxycontin and the opioid, uh, you know, that has occurred in the last 20 years. And look where we are today. So again, follow the money and you'll see why things are not being done correctly the way they should be. And again, it will never be, unfortunately, because I say this all the time, I will never make drugs go away. I won't, unfortunately, I wish I could. Um, but if we can sit here and bring forth the awareness that it needs to have, the advocacy that it needs to have, and the education that people need to have, then that's why we're doing what we're doing. And that is something that we will not stop. We're not gonna stop talking. You know, our voices are not going to be quieted. We're going to continue to do what we're doing because we're fighting for the lives of those who have not been affected. You know, I, I read a, a, a great statement the other day um, and it was, I can't remember who said it, but I know it was a Senator. And he said, you know, when it's important to them, they will make the time, but when it's not, they make an excuse. Yes, that's very true. And it hit the nail on the head. And there aren't enough of them in unison to who have the desire to get this accomplished. Yeah. And if there are, 
I think what also happens, and it's interesting because in doing much of this, you start to learn how things really work. And you can't just go after one person to get something done. Because what people don't understand is, you know, and I'll use the example of a senator. You can't just go after one senator because that one senator in that district or in that state has other senators that work with them. And if they don't agree with what they're trying to say, well, then it's not going to work. And this is the thing that I, you know, and I'm not making excuses for them. That's definitely not what I'm making. But what I am saying is when people talk to their senators and congressmen, representatives, that's what they need to remember is that it's not just that one person. They have to then talk to the people that are also around them in unison, like you said, universally, try to get them in a room, if you can, in a meeting all together where everyone is hearing the same message. And then when they can tell you all together what they're going to do and what their action plan is. And that's very difficult to accomplish. Oh, yeah, because, you know, they're always on vacation. So, yes, I know. I think uh, quite a while back, I I might be wrong, but I added up all the number of days they're actually in session in Washington. It was something like 90 days a year. I mean, hmm. that's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I, I have to I, do I, that. I have to get out the calendar, the congressional calendar and do that again. But between the holidays and all their time back at their district and all these vacations they're taking to uh, places overseas that they claim are, you know, <laughs> they're going for um, to bring business back to their district. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and your wife and kids need to go with you on those trips as well. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Because That's a it's vacation. Not, it's not their money that they're spending. Right. That's right. And Mary, it's not their money. It's our money. That's you right. You know, so it's, it's kind of like a blank check. Sure. Let me give you a blank check. Well, you know what? Why don't you start giving us that same concept? Because I think we'll utilize it a little bit differently than all of you. Uh, and it's kind of like the, the opioid settlement money that has been happening with all of this and the Sacklers, where a lot of the states have been getting these funds now, whether, uh, you know, so there was two settlements, as everybody knows. One of them was going to the state. The other one is to the municipal towns and, and cities. And what I'm hearing from a lot of parents who have nonprofits is they are not even able to tap into or trying to get any of those funds that is coming into their cities and towns because they're not getting notified on how to do so. And then when they do find out, they'll be, they're being told that the money has been like almost spent on, on things that really because if anybody looks at the way the settlement was was done, you know, there was there was a certain percentage that was for harm reduction. And then there was a percentage that's what's for advocacy and awareness. And you hear nothing. And many parents are struggling just to get money for the awareness and advocacy part, because mm -hmm. you have these people in towns that are working for the health department that are controlling these funds. So then someone like myself, when I come in, I'm like, okay, well, what grant do I need to apply for? Oh, well, we only have 100,000 left. Well, how is that possible when you just had 700,000? And where did it go? Yeah. Yeah. I have to get a Freedom of Information Act going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, I'm sure a lot of parents will start doing that because, you know, again, in doing this work right now, my husband and I have been putting in all of the money, but you know, you need donations to continue this process. You need people to help uh, because we can't continue to do it. And many of the parents, you can't continue to put and funnel your own money because then you're not going to be able to do the programs and the events that you want to do unless you are getting donations right. or you are getting people who will say, hey, what can I do? What do I need to do? 
boots on the ground, let's go. Um, and that's one of the things that when a lot of people had heard about this settlement coming through, they thought it was going to be an easy, okay, what do I, what, how do I apply where I need to go? And that has not been the case at all, unfortunately, for many, many parents that are doing the same thing that I'm doing. Yes. And most of us do that when we begin something like this, we just take from our pocket because, yes. um, I remember years ago, Chase Manhattan Bank, and yes, I'm calling you out. Um, you, you know, they said years ago, oh, um, this year we're giving $100,000 or whatever it was out to the community. This is in New York City. So you can imagine all the people who, you know, went and, and did all the paperwork, including me. Uh, it took hours and days to put all the paperwork together and get all the documents they wanted and print it all up and copy it all and send it in and and yeah. all, and then what happens is instead of giving a decent size grant so that it will matter you know 10,000 15,000 20,000 so you can take care of the next year with all your expenses yeah Instead, what they do is they give bite-sized pieces to a whole boatload of people so they can say, look, we gave to a thousand different people, okay? A thousand yeah. different organizations. And when we got our check for $250, I said to myself, this is BS. Yeah. You know, all the time and energy I took to put that together was worth more than 250. I could have given my own 250 to the organization and right. had been giving a lot more than that over yeah. the course of my advocacy work. Much more. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and I think that's where sometimes, and I, I've had a couple of um, nonprofits say to me to partner up with other nonprofits where, you know, they have been around for a little bit longer, where when the funds do come, they're willing to give uh, very quickly to certain organizations, like a United Way, right. as you know, because they've been around and they'll give the funding to them. But then if you jump on that bandwagon, it will probably be easier for you to get some of the money because now you're partnered with them. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think a lot of people are now starting to do because they're seeing that all of this supposed money that's coming in is not being dispersed the way it's supposed to be. Right. And, and you have to, you have to be wise though about yes. these organizations because there are a lot of them like United Way, Red Cross, you know, um, the Community Foundation. Yeah you know, they're very top heavy. Oh yeah. Okay. And so even all the money that goes to them, you know, not a good percentage goes back to the, goes people. back to the community. Yes. yes. And so when I started to see that, I was very weary. I was like, mm. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. And that's true. And that does happen. And I think that's, why with this, that's why you have so many parents that have started nonprofits and these organizations to do this, to be the boots on the ground, to truly, you know, help each other. And I see that uh, quite a bit. And, and I have to tell you that, and this is just me speaking, um, you know, it's kind of disheartening because there's so many groups out there and there's some who, you know, they could be on here right now and they'll sit here and tell you to their blue in the face that they're going to be partnering with people they want to help, but they don't. It's just a click. And, and I think it's, you know, that's not what this is for. That's not what the purpose is. You know, a click that that's an excuse the language, but that's fucking high school. You know, we're grown adults, parents who've lost a child. I mean, if you can't truly um, do what you say, then get the hell out of the way because, you know, uh, karma doesn't forget. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, think people, I think people forget that. And Oh, no, I believe in that totally. When somebody, you know, betrayed me or did me wrong, um, I always say that karma's a bitch. It'll it come does, back to bite you in the butt. It, it never forgets an address, like I say. <laughs> like that I always say that and you know and that's why with us 
we are very particular, very, very particular on who we've brought on to my organization and who we have as advisors and even our board and who we're partnering with. Um, I will not, I don't care if there's an organization that has 50,000 people. I don't care because for me, it's quality over quantity. Yes. I don't need the 50,000 people. I don't need to be associated with you because you have that. I would be associated with you if you have five people, because that shows how truly passionate that you are about what you're doing and you're in it for the right reasons. Uh, I think when, when organizations start to get that big, they do lose, they do lose the concept of what the true fact of what truly brought them to start what they did. And you know what? And whoever listens to this, they're probably going to get pissed off and they're probably going to be calling me or emailing me, texting, whatever. But you know what? My grandmother used to say, if the shoe fits, <laughs> wear it. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. But I didn't know if you had any other questions for me in reference to everything that we are doing. I'm glad to hear about all the advocacy work you're doing. And tell us, uh, I think you. you said you just had an event in early September. Yeah, actually, I was at back to my hometown, uh, which is in Springfield. And we had a huge Portuguese feast. And we were there for two days. And you know, and I loved it because um, I used to go when I was a kid. And and uh, Andrew had even gone a couple of times. And it was nice to go back into my community and my hometown where I'm from. Because again, uh, you know, with us is we're, we're all over Massachusetts. Um, and then we have um, chapters in, in Texas, in Ohio, in Florida, in New Hampshire, um, in, in Connecticut. So we're, we're expanding, but we're doing it again with people who are very much into what they're doing, the advocacy, the awareness, the truly being who they say that they are. And the event, you know, the Portuguese Feast brings a lot of pe thousands and thousands and thousands of people from all across the country. And it's just a good, good, wholesome event where people have nice time. You come and you experience our culture, our food. Um, there's bands that come to play and it's a really nice event. And, you know, and also a lot of the people that I spoke to, believe it or not, there was quite a few parents that came up to me. And when I started talking to them, they said, oh yeah, I know all about this because I'm you. Whoa. Yes. They they had lost their children. Wow. Yes. And, and it was like, wow. And, and that's where you kind of, you start to connect with people and you start to see something. And then it's interesting because I had one particular person who came to me um, and he was a retired police officer and had just retired from the, uh, the marshals. And he said to me, he said, you know, Paula fentanyl has been around for a very long time. And I said, yeah, I, I keep hearing that from many in law enforcement that I'm now dealing with. And they said, yeah, it's been, a, they, he said they were seeing it back in 2000, in 2005. Wow. And he, and he said, you know, it's, it's this, it's kind of like this, this, this prospect of where, when something is really hot, like, you know, Oxycontin was back in twenties in the 2000, of course, you're not going to hear about everything else. But now that that's not the mainstream, now it's the fentanyl coming back and the xylazine being mixed in. Well, it's, it's it's like, okay, so is no one paying attention to this? Because if these things are around and they go away for a little bit or kind of become dormant, then all of a sudden they just, bam, in your face, I find it very hard to believe that certain agencies don't know that that's occurring. Yes. Yes. I would agree. Wow. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Thank, thank you. I so appreciate being on here and, and you having me and being able to tell my story. And, and I think many 
talking of the parents' stories because we all kind of have a common denominator, unfortunately. Um, but I always, I always leave a, a podcast and in, in a, a, um, when I'm talking to reporters, I always say that my son's legacy is not going to be how he passed away, but how many lives he's about to save. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Thank you. That's really lovely. And you're right. He will, and probably has already. And you know, you may not know about it. You may never hear about it, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't occurred. Yes, exactly. And you yes. just have to have faith that that's what's going on in the background. That's what I like to think. Absolutely. I definitely <laughs> agree. Well, thank you again, Paula, for all your time tonight. And would you please tell us the website of where you people can learn more about you? And I will also put it in the show notes. Yes, it is um, achievegreatness88.org. Okay, great. So, yes. so achievegreatness88.org. And people say to me, well, what's 88? Because that was the year of his birth. Oh, how wonderful. okay great so please my friends go to that website learn more about paula and her husband's site and also all the work that they're doing and all the chapters that they have around the country so if you live nearby any of those chapters please contact those individuals and become involved and also Be close to those who are going through the exact same thing you are. You will have the greatest support um, that you could ever receive from another parent who knows uh, what it's like to bury a child, unfortunately, to fentanyl. And I wish you a wonderful evening. And I ask you to please subscribe, rate, like, and review And let others know, share this with those who need to know this information. It's vital that we get the word out. So thank you again, Paula, for all your help. And I'm sending you blessings. And hopefully we can speak again about your Portuguese nationality. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, good night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) 